Philippians chapter 2. My family, um, for the last year or so, we've been um, working through uh, Proverbs in our, in our family devotions. In the beginning of this year, um, we decided to, to change things up a little bit, and uh, we ended up in, in, in the book of Philippians. Um, started, started, again, working, working through the book of Philippians in our, in our evening family devotions. Um, and, you know, that was two weeks ago, right around the time I was like, oh boy, I need to speak again, and I finished <laughs> Psalm 51, so I've got to find something new to speak on, so what am I going to speak on? And, uh, yeah, Psalm 119. <sighs> We'd be working through that for the next three years, John. <laughs> yeah, job security, exactly. Oh, boy. Yeah, three, well, that was, my, that was about my average through Psalm 51, so. How, how many verses is Psalm 119? 176. Yeah, that would take a long time. All right. Um, anyway. Um, did not pick Psalm 119. <laughs> um, you can thank the Lord for that. Um, anyway, anyway, we were reading through, uh, through chapter 2 of Philippians. And I realized something as, as we were reading through this, this chapter. Is that uh, Philippians chapter 2 is one of the chapters in Scripture that I know the most about and the least about in the same, at the same time. Right, Psalm, or Psalm, I'm going to do that all morning. I'm not in Psalms anymore. Philippians chapter 2 um, is one of the, the chapters of Scripture that we go to the most often, at least here at Westville, that we go to the most often in our, in our Sunday morning worship service, right? There's a, few other, there's a few other chapters, you know, Isaiah 53, uh, maybe Psalm 22, which we went to, um, which we went to this morning. Um, but... But consistently, Philippians chapter 2 is one of those chapters that we go to over and over and over again. And we go to that chapter because it has just a beautiful description of the character of our Lord Jesus Christ, right? Chapter, chapter 2, verses, um, verses, five, yeah, verses 5 through 11 um, is one of the... One of the, the most well-stated descriptions of the character of Christ in the New Testament. And as a result, we go to it consistently, right? And if you asked me a few weeks ago, what is, what is Philippians chapter 2 about? I could have quoted verses 5 to 11 to you verbatim, right? And I probably, maybe, maybe not as well, but I probably could have told you generally what the verses leading up to um, verse 5, the first four verses of the chapter were about. They're about um, not having strife. They're about being selfless. And then the example of Christ and his selflessness is given, again, as an example of how we should act and how we should not be selfish. But as I was reading through this chapter um, a couple of weeks ago with my family, I realized that Philippians chapter 2 does not end at verse 11. Right? There's, there's, there's a whole other chunk of the chapter here. And I have spent a tremendous amount of time meditating and studying verses 5 to 11, but I've really skimmed over a lot of the rest of the chapter. Um, and we're, we're going to read through this. You know, why don't we just read through um, the second half of the chapter before we go any further. Ver, um, Philippians chapter 2 um, and verse 12. Wherefore, my beloved, what is the... Wherefore, or therefore, therefore. Wherefore, thinking of verses 11, or, or 5 to 11, let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. Keeping that portion of scripture in our minds. Wherefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God which works in you both to do and both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Do all things without murmurings and disputings, 
that you may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding forth the word of life, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. Yea, and if I be offered upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I joy and rejoice with you all. Now, I'd like you really to tune in to these next verses because these are the verses that I have really never spent a lot of time looking at in this chapter. For the same cause also, do ye rejoice and rejoice with me, but I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy shortly unto you, that I, may, that I may be of good comfort when I know your state. For I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your state, for all seek their own, not the things which are Jesus Christ's. But ye know of the proof of him, that as a son with the Father he has served with me in the gospel. Him, therefore, I hope to send presently, so soon as I shall see how it will go with me. But I trust in the Lord, that I myself also shall come shortly. Yet I suppose it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and companion in labor, and fellow soldier, but your messenger, that, and he that ministered to my wants. For he longed after you all and was full of heaviness, because that ye had heard that he had been sick. For indeed he was sick, nigh unto death. But God had mercy upon him, and not on him only, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I sent him therefore the more carefully, that when you see him again you may rejoice, and that I may be the less sorrowful. Receive him therefore in the Lord with all gladness, and hold such in reputation. Because for the work of Christ he was nigh unto death, not regarding his life to supply your lack of service towards me. Let's look to the Lord um, in prayer. Father, Lord, we just thank you for... We thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for all of your word. Lord, sometimes there are portions that stand out to us and other portions that we tend to skim over and, and perhaps do not focus on enough. But Father, we know that you have included these words, these sentiments, Father, for a reason, and that we can learn much from it, Father. So we pray that you would open our eyes, open our hearts, help us to see what you would have us to see in these portions, Father. It's in the name of your Son that we pray. Amen. It's a little bit of a... Of a Stark contrast, right? Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of, of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God also has highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy shortly to you, that I may be of good comfort. Right? There's, there's portions of Paul's letters that almost seem like they're a laundry list, right? When this letter comes to you, greet this individual, greet that individual, salute this person, I'm hoping to send this person to you soon. By the way, I left my coat here, could you please send that to me? And you sit there and you, you read through these verses, and, and don't get me wrong, there's some beautiful things that we can learn from those verses, but we read some of the deep doctrine and theology and, and the, the, the imagery that Paul uses in his epistles. And then we read those laundry lists at the end of the epistle, and it's like, Lord, why did you choose to include these portions in the canon of Scripture? Why are they there? Why is this long explanation of who Paul is desiring to send to the Philippian church included in a portion of scripture that includes one of the most amazing sections of worship that we have in the New Testament. 
to answer that question, I'd like to, I, I, before we can really dig into that to answer that question, I think we need to, to step back and look at the book of Philippians as a whole. And in order to really do that, we need to have context. What is the context that the book of Philippians is written in? To answer those questions, I want to I look at three separate things, all right? I want to look at what do we know about the physical church of Philippi? How did it start? What kind of testimony did the church at Philippi have? Did the individuals who were part of the church at Philippi have? That's question number one. What do we know about Philippi? Question number two. What is the context historically, what is the timeline that is leading up to the book of Philippians? There are, there are events that resulted in Paul writing the book of Philippians. What, are the, what is the timeline of those things? And the final, th the final item is what motivated Paul to write the book of Philippians? Right? Paul had motivations. He had reasons for writing each and every one of his epistles. Right? Look at Look at, say, the books of, of Thessalonians. The, book of Thess the two books of Thessalonians are written to the persecuted church. Right? Paul had received word that the church at Thessalonica was under extreme pressure and under extreme persecution. And his reaction to that was to write the two books of Thessalonians to encourage them, to build them up, to say, don't give up. Don't give in. Right? He had a motivation. He, had a re he didn't just randomly decide to write the church of Thessalonians about what to do if you're, if you're being persecuted. He had a very specific reason for writing that book to that group of people. What was Paul's motivation to write the book of Philippians when he did? So, first point. What do we know about the church at Philippi? To answer that question, turn back with me, if you would, to the book of Acts, chapter 16. At least I hope it's chapter 16. I haven't even opened my notes yet. That's not a good sign. Oh, look at that. Chapter 16. We're doing good. Um, Acts chapter 16. Um, we're going to read some, some big chunks of this chapter. Um, and we're going to start um, in verse 7. Acts chapter 16 and verse 7. It says in, in verse 7, After they were come, they being Paul and his traveling companions, after they were come into Mycenae, they essayed to go up into Bithynia, but the Spirit suffered them not. And they, passing by Mycenae, came down to Troas. And a vision appeared unto Paul in the night. There stood a man of Macedonia, and he prayed him, saying, Come over into Macedonia and help us. And after he had seen the vision, immediately we endeavored to go into Macedonia, assuredly gathering that the Lord had called us for to preach the gospel unto them. Therefore we loosed from Troas. Therefore, loosing from Troas, we came with a straight course to Samothracia the next day to Neapolis. And from there to Philippi, which is the chief city of that part of Macedonia, and a colony. And we are in that city abiding certain days. And it's a promising start, right? This is, what, this is what motivates them to go to Philippi, to go to Macedonia in the first place. God literally showing up to Paul in a vision and saying, go to Macedonia. There are people in Macedonia who will hear. There are people in Macedonia who need help. They need the gospel. The direction of God to go preach to the Macedonians. Verse 13, And on the Sabbath day we went out of the city by a riverside where prayer was wont to be made. And we sat down and spake to the women which resorted thither. And a certain woman named Lydia, a seller of purple of the city of Thyatira, which worshipped God, heard us, whose heart the Lord opened. And she attended to the things which were spoken of Paul. And when she was baptized and her household, she besought us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and abide there. And she constrained us. It's the first believer at the church of 
Philippi, the first believer, a woman named Lydia. I want you to look. This is the only verses, well, really, we'll call it verses 13 to verses 15. And then down in verse 40. Those are the only things that we know about Lydia in the scripture. But we can draw a lot of conclusions about her character, the kind of person that she was from those verses. Look at what Lydia's response to the gospel was. First of all, she was a woman who would go to a place where prayer was, was often made, and it says that she was a worshiper of God. Right? She does, she, her heart was inclined toward the right things. God had a hold in her life already, but she didn't know the truth. She didn't know the gospel. Right? It says in, in, in another portion that, that when Paul came in contact with people like this, that he showed them a more perfect way. Right? Paul comes to these women. He talks to this woman named Lydia. And the Lord opens her heart and she hears the things which Paul spoke. When she, it says she hears them. She didn't just hear them here. She heard them here. Right? She heard them here. What was her reaction she, when she believed, when she came to believe the message of hope that Paul was proclaiming to her, what was her reaction? She did two things, two things immediately upon becoming a believer, upon believing. Her reaction was to be obedient. Her first reaction was to be obedient. As soon as she believed, she was baptized. She knew that there was a step that she was to take, that God desired for her to take, and she was baptized. Obedience. That's her first reaction. What's her second reaction? She besought us, saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and abide there. And she constrained us. What does the word constrain mean? Constrained us. It's got that word constrict in it, right? Constrict, to constrain someone. To constrain is to to draw a limit around someone, to limit their ability to get outside of your constraint. I want you to think for a moment, if, if you had just gotten saved and the person who had led you to the Lord was the Apostle Paul, how likely would you be to constrain the Apostle Paul to do anything? This is the Apostle Paul we're talking about, right? It's just a fascinating, it's a fascinating insight to the kind of person that she was, right? She wasn't taking no for an answer. No. You've brought me a message of good news, and now you're going to come, and you're going to allow me to serve you. You're going to allow me to serve you. Service. That's your second reaction. Lydia hears the gospel. She believes it. And her two immediate responses are obedience and service. Obedience and service. Go down to verse 22. There's a story in between that we're not going to touch on this morning. But in verse 22, it says, And the multitude rose up together against them, them being Paul and Silas. Rose up against them, and the magistrates rent off their clothes and commanded to beat them. And when they had laid many stripes on them, they cast them into the prison, charging the jailer to keep them safely, who, having received such a charge, thrust them into the inner prison and made their feet fast in the stalls. And at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God, and the prisoners heard them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bands were loosed. And the keeper of the prison, on waking out of his sleep, and seeing the prison doors open, he drew out his sword and would have killed himself, supposing the prisoners had fled. But Paul cried out with a loud voice, saying, Do thyself no harm, for we are all here. And then he called for a light and sprang in and came trembling and fell down before Paul and Silas and brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? 
And they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved and thy house. And they spake unto him the word of the Lord, and to all that were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night, and washed their stripes, and was baptized, he and all his, straightway. And when he had brought them into his house, he set meat before them and rejoiced, believing in God with all his house. This is the second individual and the second family at Philippi that we have record of becoming believers. When this man came to belief, when he heard that message and took it as his own, what was his reaction? See, he changes it up a little bit. The, the apostles had come into his care after having been beaten, right? They were injured. They were physically injured. And he, following his, his commands, had put them into the deepest part of his dungeon. He had locked them up securely, and their injuries had not, not been cared for. And so as Paul and Silas come out and proclaim this message unto him, and he believes that his first reaction is to serve them, right? He takes care of their injuries. As soon as their injuries are taken care of, he obeys. He gets baptized. And then he invites them into his house and he feeds them. Just like Lydia, his reaction was to obey God's command for him. As soon as he believed, he obeyed God's command, God's desire for him. And he saw to the physical needs of the individuals who had brought that message to him. They had been beaten, they had been cast into prison. Doesn't give us a whole lot of, their wounds hadn't even been cared for, let alone they'd been given supper, right? They've been in his prison during that night, hurting, hungry. When he believes, he takes care of their injuries and he feeds them, right? Obedience and service. So, this, this chapter is the only, is the only hands-on, I mean, we, we have some, some reflections of, of, and some statements about what the Church of Philippi had done um, in the past, what they were doing in the book of Philippians. But this chapter here is really the only, the only direct account, the direct example of, of what the Church of Philippi was like that we have in Scripture. And from this chapter, we can pull out that the church at Philippi was a church that believed, they were a church that obeyed, and they were a church that served. That's a pretty strong testimony for a church to have, right? If, if people came into this church and they walked away, and the three things that they could take away from this church was that this was a church that believed, that this was a church that obeyed, and this was a church that served God, that would be a tremendous testimony. That was the testimony of the church at Philippi. Question number one. Number two, what is the historical context that the book of Philippians is written in? To answer that question, um, turn over a little bit forward um, in your Bibles to chapter... Chapter 21, the end of chapter 21, Paul has returned um, from, his, um, from his second missionary journey. Um, I'm forgetting the reference here, but somewhere along in the previous chapters, we have a brief mention of Philippi. Paul did visit the church at Philippi again briefly um, during his third mission, missionary journey. Um, but we don't have any details of that visit. But now Paul is um, returned to Jerusalem from his, from his third missionary journey. And he is in the temple speaking to the Jews about who God was, about who Jesus was, and about what he had done. And the reaction of the Jews is one that, having read the New Testament, we could probably predict pretty well. It was not a positive reaction, right? The Jews go into an uproar. They start physically attacking Paul. 
they hate him, they hate what he is saying. But the result of that is that the uproar that they make causes the captain of the Roman guard to hear, and he, he and his, his troops come charging into the temple grounds. And it says in chapter, uh, chapter 21 of the book of Acts, verse, verse 31, and we'll go to verse 30. It says, and all the city was moved, and the people ran together, and they took Paul and drew him out of the temple, and forthwith the doors were shut. And as they went about to kill him, tidings came to the chief captain of the band that all Jerusalem was in an uproar, who immediately took soldiers and centurions and ran down with them, ran down unto them. And when they saw the chief captain and the soldiers, they left beating of Paul. And the chief captain came near and took him, commanded him to be bound with two chains, and demanded who he was and what he had done. And some cried one thing, and some another among the multitude. And when he could not know for certainty of, for the tumult, he commanded him to be carried into the castle. This is the beginning of an imprisonment of Paul that would last somewhere around four and a half years. Right? Four and a half years. Go over to um, chapter, I think it's chapter 24. Chapter 24 and verse 24. Chapter 24, 24, and it reads this way. And after certain days, when Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, which was a Jewess, he sent for Paul and heard him concerning the faith in Christ. And as he reasoned of righteousness, temperance, and judgment to come, Felix trembled and answered, Go thy way for this time. When I have a convenient season, I will call for thee. He hoped also that money should have been given him of Paul, that he might lose him. Wherefore, he sent for him the more often and communed with him. But after two years, Porcius Festus came into Felix's room, and Felix, willing to show the Jews a pleasure, left Paul bound. Paul has been in prison at this point for two years, right? For two years, for no crime at all. And the primary reasons that he has been left in prison for two years was because the man in charge wanted a bribe. And because the man in charge wanted to make the people, the Jewish people who had wrongly attacked and almost murdered Paul, to be kept content. So Paul had been in prison for two years for no just reason. And for those of you who were here a few years ago when we were, were studying... Um, the book of going through the book of Acts um, as a church, you'll remember the, the journey that then proceeded when Paul um, is his, his, his as the, the new um, ruler of Judea comes in, and the case of Paul is brought up to him again. And he hears the case, and that, that ends with Paul saying, As a Roman citizen, I demand my right to appeal to Caesar, to make my case known to Caesar. And so he is sent to Rome. And there follows a very tumultuous journey. Um, from the best we can tell, it probably took somewhere between four and six months for Paul to get from, um, from Jerusalem to Rome. So at that point, he has been imprisoned for two and a half years, right? For two and a half years. It is during this time period, and the book of, the book of Acts ends in, uh, in verse 30 of chapter 28 of the book of Acts. It says, And Paul dwelt two whole years in his own hired house, and received all that came into him, preaching the kingdom of God, and teaching those things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ, with confidence, no man forbidding him. Those two years, Paul, he was in relatively good condition, but he was still in house arrest in Rome. It's during this time period, during his arrest in Rome, that the book of Philippians is written. Paul has been imprisoned for two and a half years unjustly. He's imprisoned in house arrest for another two years, waiting for um, his trial to come up. And during that time, Paul would write four letters. They're called his prison epistles. The prison letters of Paul. He would write Colossians. He would write Ephesians, Philemon, and Philippians. 
from historical record, not from, not from biblical record, but from historical record, it's commonly believed that Paul's case never came to Caesar. The Jews in, 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 in Jerusalem, or not in, in, in Rome, decided it wasn't worth it to push this issue at that time. So at the end of the two years that's recorded in the book of Acts, Paul was eventually released from prison without it ever appealing to Caesar himself. And again, not from biblical record, but from historical record, it's believed that Paul then went on another missionary journey, during which time Emperor Nero burned Rome. Rome was burned. Nero blamed it on the Jews. Persecution against the Jews redoubled. Paul would um, then be rearrested. Re we get then another prison epistle. It's not usually called a prison epistle, but another prison epistle from Paul, Timothy or 2 Timothy, um, and then Paul was eventually um, believed to be executed in Rome. Before that, though, we have four books that were written during this time of imprisonment. Four books. Um, Colossians, Ephesians, Philemon, and Philippians. What was different about the book of Philippians from those other books? Obviously, they address totally different topics. There, there's, there's many things that are different about them. What sets Philippians apart from any of the other books, the, any of the other epistles, the letters that, that Paul wrote? It's the motivation. It's the motivation. What was the reason Paul went about to write the book of Philippians? All of the other books that Paul wrote were, were written to address to address an issue of some sort, all right? They were written to address an issue. Galatians, Colossians, 1 Corinthians, right? Those are all books where there is either a doctrinal issue, there is blatant sin in the church. Even the book of Philemon, right, which is, which is not, not necessarily, we wouldn't, we wouldn't usually think of that as an issue book, but it's a book that Paul wrote to make sure that the church that, that Philemon was involved in, that Philemon as an individual, reacted to a situation in a way that would honor God, right? It was a letter written to make sure that, it, that an issue was addressed correctly. Right? You've got other books, like, like Timothy, Titus, or again, Philemon. You could, you could throw this into, into this category as well as a book that is written to give advice and counsel to a church leader. You have other books like, like Ephesians or Romans that are given, written to, to give doctrinal groundwork to a church. Or you have the books of Thessalonians, which were, given, which were written to give encouragement to a church that was under pressure. Philippians does not fall into any of those categories. Because the thing about those other, those other books is that Paul wrote those books because churches were in need of Paul's ministry, right? Churches were in need of the wisdom, the corrective, disciplinary words of Paul. They were in need of the advice of Paul. Unlike those books, the book of Philippians was written not because Paul needed to minister to the church, but because Paul was responding to the church's ministry to him. Paul was respond the book of Philippians is Paul's response to the church's ministry to him. Turn back to the book of Philippians. I know we said I said we're going to look at Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 4. And verse 15. Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, so again, we're, we're just after the establishment of the church in of the church of Philippi in Acts chapter 16. Paul departs from, from Macedonia. No church communicated concerning giving and receiving. No church communicate, communicated with me concerning giving and receiving. Another way to put that, nobody supported me financially. Nobody cared about the missionary work of the gospel going forth enough to provide for my physical needs. But you only. 
For even in Thessalonica, you sent once and again to my, to my necessity, not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may, that, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. Why? Because Paul is doing a work that the church of Philippi was supporting, and therefore any fruit that, was, that came out of the work of Paul in some way was credit was being given to the church of Philippi for that work. I desire that fruit may abound to your account, but I have all and abound. I am full, having received of Epaphroditus, remember that name, Epaphroditus, the things which were sent from you, an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. Sacrifice acceptable and well-pleasing to God. Turn back to Philippians chapter 2, if you will. Verse 25, Yet I suppose it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother, and companion, and in, in companion in labor, a fellow soldier, but your messenger, and he that ministered to my wants. He that ministered to my wants. Who was Epaphroditus? Epaphroditus was a messenger. The church of Philippi was a serving church. They were a church that believed in ministering to the needs of others. And the way that they did that for Paul was after he had left them, they financially supported Paul. And when they heard that Paul was in prison, when they heard that he needed encouragement, they sent this man Epaphroditus to give a gift to Paul. Now, you might say, we give gifts to missionaries all the time, right? We give gifts to missionaries all the time. Doesn't that, does that mean that we should receive the same kind of, of praise that Paul gives to the church of Philippi? The church of Philippi sent Epaphroditus. They couldn't just stick a check in the mail. They had to send an individual. Do you know how far it was from Philippi to Rome? If you took the most direct route, it was 700 miles. That was a very expensive trip because a lot of it was, was, um, was a sea voyage. You had to pay for that passage. If you didn't have the money to do that, you could, you could go much farther via land, but that route was almost 1,200 miles. And if you took the fastest route and you walked quickly when you were on land and the weather was perfect, it would take you around six weeks to make that journey. But if you couldn't afford that route, or maybe if you got a little foot sore, or maybe if, if the weather was poor, there was a contrary wind in that long voyage, or, or maybe you were taking that long trip around by foot and it had rained a lot and the roads were, were miry and difficult to travel, that, that journey could easily take three months to complete. I want you to think of this. If there was a missionary in South America and our only way to support them was to have someone walk from here to them to deliver a gift and to turn around and come back, would that sacrifice be worth it to us as an assembly to encourage an individual? Would it be worth it? It was worth it to the church at Philippi. It was worth it at the church at Philippi, and it was worth it to Epaphroditus, right? Just a couple of months ago, my dad walked 2,000 miles in four months, right? Hiked the Appalachian Trail. That was a trip that took literally years to plan for, no small expense of time and of money, And it literally took 30 pounds of his body weight, physical sacrifice, physical pain, to complete that journey. That was a comparable journey to the one that Epaphroditus had to take. 700 miles or 1,200 miles, however you cut it, that was one way. He had to turn around and come back. 
You're talking 1,400 miles to 2,400 miles of travel for this man to make. A few years ago, um, not just a few years ago, but m many of many of my friends since, since I've moved past my teenage years, many of my friends from when I was when I was younger um, have moved away. Right? Um, I, have, I have one close friend from that time that's that's still in the area, but um, David Labastida is in Mexico. Uh, my friend Nick, who you all have prayed for many times, um, is in Baltimore. Um, and Harrison, who's my best friend, he was the best man at my wedding, um, he has been in Oklahoma for a number of years now. He went to school there. He's been working there since then. So I don't get to see them very often, right? A few years ago, when Faith and I, I can't remember if we were dating or engaged at the time, um, I had gone... Um, to her family's house up in Andover um, on Sunday afternoon. And just after I got there, I was sitting down in their kitchen, and I get a phone call from Harrison. And you have to realize, um, you, many of you have known me for a long time, and you know that I can talk a lot. When I talk to Harrison, I am quiet 70% of the time, and he talks the rest of it, okay? Harrison can talk. So when I get a phone call from Harrison, if you don't have like an hour to sit there and talk, I don't pick up the phone. So I just get to my girlfriend's house or my fiance's house. Again, I'm not, sure, I'm not sure exactly how long ago it was. I had just gotten there and I get this call from Harrison. I'm like, sorry, sorry, but I can't pick this up. And, and Faith goes, no, you should take that call. I'm like, Faith, I'm gonna be on the phone for the next hour if I take that call. She's like, he's your friend, pick up the phone. Okay, I, just, I was going to spend it with you, but if you want me to pick up the phone, I'll pick up the phone. So I pick up the phone. I start talking to Harrison. I don't, I have no idea what we were talking about. Hello, whatever. What are you doing? Oh, I'm at my girlfriend's. Da 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 da. And I walk into the living room, and I'm standing there, and I'm talking, and all of a sudden, Harrison tells me to turn around. I'm like, turn around? What are you talking? I turn around, and there's Harrison. <laughs> Harrison did not make the journey from Oklahoma to Connecticut just to see me, all right? He, it had been a number of months since he had, uh, since he had seen his family. I forget the, the specifics around why he came back up, but he had come back up for a lot of different reasons. But in that trip, he decided to plan something with Faith to surprise me because we hadn't seen each other for a number of months. That was encouraging. That was encouraging, right? Epaphroditus walked for months to give that kind of surprise, that kind of joy to the Apostle Paul. The church at Philippi was a serving church. We, we tend to take verses 5 through 11 of chapter 2, and we focus, as we should, we focus completely on who Jesus Christ was and what his character was. But if you look at the context of this portion of scripture, Paul is saying, don't do anything through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others as better than themselves. Let not, any man let not every man think on his own things, but every man on the things of others. And then he goes through those familiar verses in 5 through 11. And we might, you might read that and say, oh, he is giving a command for the church to do something and giving an example, a perfect example for that. That is true. However, when you get to the end of that, you have verse 12, which says, Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. What the Apostle Paul is saying is when I see you, when I look back on the way that you sent Epaphroditus to me, when I look back on the way you supported me at Thessalonica, when I think back of when I established the church there at Philippi, the way that you ministered to me, when I look at you, I see the mind of Christ in you. 
I don't see a church that needs to be selfless. I see a church that is selfless and that is already acting on this. Keep doing it. When I look at you, I see the mind of Christ. The book of Philippians is commonly called the, the Paul's love letter to the church or the book of joy. It's called the book of joy because the word joy or rejoice are, is used 16 times in four chapters, an average of four times per chapter. And so it's called the book of joy. It's called the book of joy when Paul, think about this for a second, if you were in prison for a crime that you had never committed and you're, and you're two years, two and a half, three years, four years into this imprisonment, would your response to that be to write, literally write the book on joy? Paul is writing the book on joy years into an unjust imprisonment. Paul was not Superman. He didn't naturally have this kind of attitude all the time. If you, you guys remember, just briefly, a, a number of years ago, I had the privilege of, of speaking um, from Acts 28. And if you remember, you don't have to turn there, um, but just, again, just briefly, it says in, in Acts 28, as, as Paul is approaching Rome, as he's nearing Rome, it says, and from thence, when the brethren heard of us, the brethren in Rome heard of us, they came to meet us as far as Apiphorum and the three taverns, whom when Paul saw, he thanked God and took courage. Apiphorum and the three taverns were about 60 miles from Rome. 60 miles, that's about a three-day journey. Paul was already coming to Rome, but the believers in Rome, the ones who had received that epistle to the Romans, the ones who had been established and encouraged by Paul's teaching, when they heard that Paul was on his way to them, they couldn't wait for him to come to Rome. They couldn't wait for him to come to Rome, so they walked for three days so that they could see him six days earlier. For us today, that would be the equivalent of us getting into the car, right? Right? We hear we have a, there's a missionary that maybe we've been supporting, that we've been maybe listening to, to messages that they give. We hear that they're coming back to the states, and they're going to come and speak here at Westville in two weeks. But next week, they're going to speak at a church in California, and I can't wait to hear them speak, to see them, to encourage them, to be encouraged by them. And so I get in my car and I drive to California to hear them speak because I can't wait one more week to see them. It says that Paul gave, Paul thanked God and he took courage. You know what? If you take courage, it typically means that your courage was lacking beforehand. When Paul saw the sacrifice that those believers had made in order to see them, he took courage. Courage. He was encouraged. And when Paul was encouraged while he was in prison at Rome, when he was encouraged by the, the Philippian Christians, he responded with joy. The book of Philippians, we call the book of Philippians the joy, the, the book of joy in Scripture. Because the word joy or rejoice is used 16 times. Take a guess at how many times Jesus is referred to by name in the book of Philippians. 39 times. 39 separate distinct times. The encouragement of the believers at Philippi resulted in Paul seeing in them the mind of Christ. He, he looked at what they had done, the way that they had encouraged him, the sacrifices that they had made to encourage, him, to encourage him, and he saw Christ in them. He was joyful. Do we have the mind of Christ? Do we have the mind of Christ, or do we see the journey from Philippi to Rome and say, that's not worth it? The expense and the time to get there is worth more than the gift that we have to give. I can wait another week to see that believer. They're coming here anyway. Why would I go drive to California to see them? Do we see the obstacle of being an encouragement, of being a blessing? And does that outweigh our opportunity 
to give glory to God, to point others toward Christ. I'd like to read you a, a couple of quotes real quick before we close. I wish I could say that I came up with these myself, but I did not. It says, the difference between joy and happiness is substantial. We often assume <clears throat> that the feelings of happiness, giddy laughter, and contentment in the comforts of life are akin to the joy we experience in Christ. We say, shouldn't the joy of Christ feel like being happy in the, in, in the pleasures of the world? Happiness is a reaction to something great. Joy is the product of someone great. Jesus died to erase guilt and shame. Every day we come to him for grace, and he is faithful to give us grace upon grace. When we are quick to confess and forgive, we can move forward in the freedom of a repentant life in Christ. That is joy. The Philippians sacrificed much so that they could be an encouragement, so that they could point the Apostle Paul to Christ. And in doing that, they gave him joy. Let's give joy to one another. Amen. Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you so much for the example, for the example of so many godly people in Scripture. Lord, we're, we're grateful even to to look upon Paul and to see this man who we respect so much and yet to realize that there were times in his life when he needed courage, when he needed encouragement, and to see that a church so far away could do something that, seemed so, that may have seemed so small to us, but at the same time it was so unbelievably encouraging to Paul. Oh, Father, help us to have the mind of Christ. Help others to look upon us and to see the mind of Christ in our actions. Lord, help us not to be afraid of the, the, the discomfort of sacrificing our own happiness to give joy to others and to experience your joy in our lives. Father, thank you so much for saving us. Thank you so much for dying for us. Lord, for giving us the ability to experience joy through your Son, through what he has done for us. Father, help us to be like the Philippians church, Philippian church. Help us to hear the gospel and to believe it. Help us to obey your will, Father, and help us to serve one another. It's in the name of your Son that we pray. Amen.